Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B. Ari, I have a very important question for you. Can't wait. And uh, I think it's going to go a long way in sort of determining the way the rest of the season goes for Ohio State. Uh, how alarmed should we be that Miami was up 5 nothing midway through the first quarter? Miami of Ohio, not I Miami of Florida. I thought it was going to be one of those days, remember? You did tweet, you did tweet it was going to be one of those days, yeah. You were nervous. The line was making you a little nervous, wasn't it? I don't know. I have no skin in the game. I wasn't nervous. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's. But, but you, I, you made a comment to me about the line. It came down a little bit, right? The and line went yeah. from forty to thirty-eight. <laughs> I think it might have been thirty-seven and a half when the game started. And you know, I always look at the the line movement for Ohio State games, and I knew Ohio State was going to lose to Purdue based on the line movement in last year's game. And I just thought it was curious because, in my opinion, what happened in the game was what I thought was going to happen. But then when the line went down to you know 38, I thought, well, maybe this will be one of those weird Ohio State doesn't show up to the middle of the second quarter games and they only win by 35. I didn't mean like one of those games like they were going to lose. Like a sleepy kind of game. Like a yeah, sleepy yeah, kind of like, yeah. oh, they're not, they didn't show up for this one and it's going to be, you know, Miami's going to think they're in it for a quarter and a half or whatever and then the, the, the floodgates were going to open in the second and third quarter, then the backups would come in and then the back door was going to happen. You know what they did instead? They scored 75. They scored 11 touchdowns in a row. <laughs> 76 unanswered points. This is the first time I think I've ever seen that. I was thinking, I, I, I can't, I don't think, I know they scored 77 against Bowling Green uh, in 2016 or 2017, yeah. whatever that game was. So they, they've, I think that's the last two times they played a MAC team. They scored I just can't remember points. if Bowling Green scored in that game or not. They did. I think it was 77 to 10, but I think the touchdown was a defensive touchdown. I think it was a pick six. Yeah. Um, is I don't that a Dwayne I've, pick six? Uh, no, I think it was a JT Barrett. No, JT Barrett pick six. Um, I don't. I have never seen that. 
before, and I don't know if we'll ever see it again. Like, it's Miami, Ohio, so whatever, but it was like 11 straight touchdowns. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and they were trying not to score at the end, and they still <laughs> they, were scoring. They were still scoring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that game, but I am curious. Like, what I want to throw this stat at you and tell me what you think is more impressive and what you maybe, like, I don't know, take more out of. The fact that Miami got 121 yards of offense on its first three possessions or that it got 30 yards of offense over its next 13 possessions. I think 120 yards in three possessions was is a pretty good feat. I'm going to say that one. Yeah, it was weird. It was it was in an odd way. I think a little bit of a, a good thing or a preview maybe to what like Nebraska is going to try to do this week. Nebraska's got better players. They got I don't know if they got better coaches. Miami came with a plan. I respected it. It worked for like six minutes and then didn't work at all after that. But some of the things they were doing, particularly RPO stuff, I think was a good preview of what might happened to Ohio State's defense this weekend. It was like Mike Tyson uh, in a boxing ring with a, you know, 120-pound high school sophomore. That high school <laughs> sophomore, like, gave it everything he had for about, what, 30 seconds? And then at that point, it was the rest of the, the, the boxing match is what happened, you know? He called him, yeah, he didn't knock him down, but he called him on the jaw once. He caught him on the jaw once. He, and like, then, stumbled backwards. Like, what the hell was that? Tyson looks doing? down and goes, what's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, you know, angered the giant, I guess. And then they scored 11 straight touchdowns. And then it was uh, bloodbath. Yeah. 70, 70, was it 75? 76 76 to 5. To five. God. I watched that game from the radio booth, by the way. That was kind of cool. You'll see why here this week. That's a tease. Uh, this is 4-6 to six with A to B, with A and B. Four to six with A and B on the Athletic, your Ohio State podcast. Uh, please subscribe to the Athletic. We would appreciate it. it helps keep us employed. You can still get forty percent off at theathletic.com backslash four to six. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find fine podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, etc. Are there other ones? I don't know if there are other ones. I use Spotify. Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah. I always. Spreaker. I don't know what it is, but I always hear it when I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Stitcher. Yeah, this is if, yeah, this is also where we drop in the uh, ad for like Squarespace or something like that. No, Monster.com. Monster.com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michigan got destroyed by Wisconsin over the weekend, and this isn't a Michigan podcast, but I wanted to use that as a jumping off point for what I wanted to talk to talk about today. Thirty-five, fourteen. Wisconsin just took it to Michigan, and I think the score probably could have been higher if, uh, or, or the deficit could have been larger if Wisconsin wasn't Wisconsin. If they were like any kind of team that cares about being explosive and scoring a lot of points offensively, I think they probably could have scored sixty on Michigan if they played that way. Uh, Michigan's really slow. I don't know how much of that game you watched. I was in, like I said, I was in the radio booth, and I was with. Uh, Paul Keels and Jim Lachey, and they were watching that game before the Ohio State broadcast started. And at one point, <laughs> Jim Lachey turned over to the TV and he goes, well, really looks like they got their defense figured out after Madison left. <laughs> they were really enjoying the fact that Michigan was getting stomped. Um, but they just looked really slow um, and, like, unathletic. And they did, like, against Wisconsin. I thought that was – I was I was kind of shocked by that. Yeah. I. Uh, that's what I love about Wisconsin and the reason why – uh, they're always or seem to always be in the Big Ten championship game. It's like they know what they are, um, and they play who they are uh, all the time. They stay within themselves. I think there's a ceiling, and I've written about this in the past. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the athletes, you can go through the Big Ten West and get to the Big Ten championship game, but eventually you're going to face a team like Ohio State, um, and you might actually beat them every now and then. You know, I think that's a scary game for Ohio State this year all of a sudden, um, but you're never going to win at the highest, highest level playing with those athletes. And Michigan wants to play at the highest, highest level. And uh, 
if you're getting out athleted by Wisconsin, that's not a very good sign, especially if it looks like. I mean, I read in a few stories somebody wrote. I can't remember if it was Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic or Pete Thamel from Yahoo, but somebody said it looked like they were running with bricks on their feet. Yeah, everybody flamethrowed <clears throat> Michigan this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I didn't. Only thing I saw was Wisconsin came out on the first drive. Fourth and one, which should have been a first down, but it was fourth and one, and they just go for it at their own thirty. It's like, oh, this is what this is going to be today. <laughs> yeah, they, they had, they had, I think they had a little, uh, a little worry of, that Michigan was going to do anything to them. But the reason we're talking about that though is like the Big Ten I, so far has been weird. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, and Minnesota are the only teams left that are unbeaten. Michigan has its loss. Michigan State has a loss. Um, Northwestern, which I think some people thought might challenge for the West, uh, has a loss. Um, and they look bad. Yeah, they yeah. look. They, yeah, they look bad. Like, yeah, and even some of these unbeaten teams, like Penn, Penn State in particular, I think still doesn't have things quite figured out yet. Like Wisconsin does. This looks like uh, uh, maybe the best version of Wisconsin you could get. Like you said, if they do what they do and they do it well, it's just sometimes they have the horses and sometimes they don't. They look like they might this year, and I think it's interesting. Ohio plays. Ohio State plays them in a month, and then very well could play Wisconsin again in, in Indianapolis. Meanwhile, Michigan totally revamped its offense. Had defensive staff turnover and player turnover, which I think is is fair to mention on on defense, but it doesn't look like it has any idea what it wants to be. Which is my segue into asking you about Ohio State, and we're four games into this. They've blown out everybody they've played. I think along the way, some people might have assumed some of these games might have been close. Maybe the Cincinnati game in particular, um, perhaps the Indiana game. We were a little iffy on that line, and that turned into a blowout. And then obviously they destroyed a MAC team this past weekend. But through those four games, Ari, does, does it look to you that Ohio State, even though it has not played the greatest competition and it's going to take a step up with, with Nebraska and Michigan State coming the next two weeks, does Ohio State look to you like a team that knows what it wants to be and is, has a clear vision for what its identity is moving forward? And I want to make the distinction because when we were discussing this topic uh, before we started the podcast, being what they are having an identity as a team. There's a difference between offensive and defensive identity in terms of coaching and identity as a program. There's year-to-year identity and an overall program identity, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so year-to-year identity, I think Ohio State hired this young coach with a brilliant offensive mind because that's the thing that he was going to be able to shore up the most. And defensively, I think that they have an identity. We haven't seen all the looks that I think they're going to employ later on uh, in the season because I just don't think they've been challenged. But I feel like the team has a personality mm-hmm. defensively, and it's the first time in a few years that we've seen that personality. Flying to the football, making big hits, punishing people for carrying the ball, playing with confidence, and it just the athleticism, in contrast to Michigan, just oozes off these guys' bodies. Yeah, so this is this this is going to get a little coach speaky for just a minute, but I, I just want to sort of lay out where Ohio State is, and and this isn't only true of Ohio State. This is every team. Every team wants to stop the run. Every team wants to keep teams from scoring touchdowns. Obviously, that's how you win. Ohio State at the moment defensively is number three in the country in rushing yards allowed per attempt at one point seven one, which is really low, and is number one in the country in opponent red red zone touchdown percentage at eighteen percent, and uh, they're sort of middle in the pack in terms of attempts with 11 so it's not like they're they're that low when teams only got in the red zone like i think Iowa was only allowed teams in a red zone three times which is kind of ridiculous in three games um ohio state's defense has been putting those positions a, a decent amount and is not allowing teams to score touchdowns they're at 18 percent they lead the country um and those are the two things you always want to be good at but but ohio state in the past has sort of been inconsistent in those they weren't good at all against the run last year but i agree with you especially defensively this this does feel different um 
2016, I thought they were like pretty menacing. They, and they had that back end of the defense that was full of first-round draft picks. Um, and that was like Nick Bosa's first year, and they had that group of defensive ends like Hubbard and Lewis and all those guys. And it's like you, like from the front through the back, you had there were a lot of NFL guys on that roster, and you, and you sort of felt that on a weekly basis. And it was a large reason of why they got to the playoff because that defense was so good. And I don't know if this defense is there just yet because I don't think they've seen a test that we can definitively say that. And and maybe I'll I'll be there after they play Nebraska because I think Nebraska does have some pieces, but they're they're. Yeah, I think personality is a good way to say it. They're 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 very um, intimidating. I think a little bit. I think when you you can see that when they play these teams, like Miami, Ohio, hit them with something in the beginning of the game. But I think I thought Ohio State got it fixed pretty quickly, shut them down twice, and like the game was over because I think Miami was just sort of gave up and realized they couldn't do anything. And I think we've seen a lot of Ohio State's opponents realize, you know, after a while, after the feeling out process that happens at the beginning of the games, they really can't do anything against this defense. I think that the biggest way to categorize or to put it in perspective is this is the first time and I've been covering this team now going on 10 years which is crazy to say out loud you old that a coach or a new coaching staff has come into this program and has detailed what they want to do explained it thoroughly says things like we want to simplify the defense we want the team to play fast we want them to play confidently and we want to use our athletes to the best of their abilities. And then they actually did exactly what they had been talking about the entire off season. Yeah. And like you've, you you know, a lot of times when we ask these coaches questions and press conferences and, you know, interview settings, they say a lot of things. And I think a lot of times these guys are just like, what, what, let's just talk and talk and talk until this is over with. And I don't know that they always mean exactly what they're saying, or they don't want to say too much. And for the sake of preserving game plan, but you know, if you go back over the years, especially offensively, they're going to throw the tight end more and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. It's like this defense is exactly what I pictured in my head when they were describing it in the spring as their first time with this team. And I think that is a huge testament to the staff. And yes, they have not faced a team that I think can push them to their level athletically. I do think that it is evident enough at this point through the first four games of the season to know how they want to play. Is it going to work long term? Obviously, that still remains to be seen. But I think they're doing what they want to do. And then offensively, Landis, me and you might have disagreed a little bit on this before. Um, I feel like Ohio State looks very similar to the, what they did in the past in some aspects. And then, of course, there's other aspects like under center. There was a quarterback sneak, by the way. Love it. You guys can celebrate, rejoice. Ohio State is one for one this year and drives with quarterback sneaks, <laughs> ending in touchdowns. Um, but, you know, under the center stuff and letting – Justin Fields get out there and just kind of, you know, freelance a little bit. You know, I think you made this point during the game about sometimes it's going to look scary. Sometimes it's going to look crazy, but let him do his thing. And that's his athleticism. I don't know if that was a characteristic of the Urban Meyer coached quarterback, nor do I know if JT Barrett was even capable of doing those things physically. But write that down. That's a good story idea. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> you can have it. I've written like four different stories over the last couple of years about Urban Meyer allowing his quarterback to play like a crazy person, which is basically just an excuse to write about Tate Martell <laughs> and Baker Mayfield. You can have it, though. That's my gift to you, okay? I appreciate that. It's a good um, but you, But you wrote a story about, like similar to this years ago when we went down to Cincinnati to cover the Cincinnati uh, Oklahoma, uh, Houston. Houston game. Oh, yeah, Cincinnati-Houston, you were writing about Baker Mayfield the week before Ohio State played Baker the first time. 
Yeah, something like Sorry, that. Sorry, I, I got confused because we were in the press box and Landis was writing a story about how Baker Mayfield plays like a crazy person. Yeah. And obviously everybody knows what that how that turned out, but it is a characteristic. There were times in the game on Saturday where Fields would escape or get out into the open or scramble and do things that we haven't seen at Ohio State in a long time, and I think that is becoming part of their offensive identity. Yeah, I agree. Just to, to, to back up uh, real quick before we talk about Justin Fields a little more in depth, because uh, I think it's an interesting point. Um, look, Ryan Ryan Day had a clear vision for what he thinks a modern college football offense should look like, and he has been at Ohio State for three years. And the first two years, I think he was a little held back in in fully implementing that. And to his credit, they've seemed to have done it in relatively short order. And I guess the the caliber of opponent helps. Although I I still I do think that like Cincinnati and Indiana in the end will end up being above average to possibly fairly good defensive teams. And Ohio State ripped both those teams apart. So maybe you don't want to put too much stock into it now. I think we could look back when the season's over like, oh, wow, those those, those are two pretty good defenses, and Ohio State hung a 90 combined points on them. It's a natural shift, I think, in a season where before the year, oh, Cincinnati's going to be a test. Then you beat the crap out of Cincinnati. Cincinnati sucks. Right. Then Cincinnati wins the AAC, and now yeah. they're good again. Yeah, And it's like very, very hard to really gauge an idea of like what they did until you have the full picture. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is Ohio State's offense has been dominant in four straight games. Yeah. But the, the the point I was making about Ryan Day is, is is and I think it's important. I think I think it's important for coaches one to be adaptable, and I think Ryan Day is. But I also think it's important for coaches to have conviction and believe in what you're doing. And sometimes it doesn't happen. I like for Michigan, for instance. I don't think they believe in what they're trying to do offensively. And I don't maybe just because they don't have, haven't had success. Or maybe it's because Josh Gaddis is in over his head. But there's not. I'm not sensing a whole lot of conviction from what Michigan's trying to do offensively. Maybe it's Jim Harbaugh not being totally bought in on the idea of running offense that way. Um, Ohio State has a history of doing. God, this just when stuff. you say that, it's just a disaster. Yeah, like it's just like uncomfortable to think about. Like you make the hire as a coach. I don't. I interrupt you because I can't control no, myself. Okay. But like, God, could you imagine? Hiring an offensive coordinator to supposedly overhaul your offense and then not looking good at doing it because the coach is unsure of if that's what's happening, that is complete and utter definition of dysfunction. I'm pretty ready to say, to say that was a bad hire. Um, Josh Gaddis had never called plays. He'd never coordinated an offense. Like There was Mike Loxley's thing at Alabama. It was Joe Moorhead's thing at Penn State. And like I get it. You just want to like bring the guy who was part of that and – He's a younger guy, and you want to give a younger guy a chance. Like I, I, I respect Which that. Which is the trend in the sport, right. both levels. But um, I think I think I don't know. They've only played three games now, or so. Maybe I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that could uh, talk about the things that like upend Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. I think it's possible we could look back at that hire and be like, that was it. Um, but anyway, back to my point. Ryan Day, Ryan Day being being a full believer in what he's trying to do offensively, I think has come through in these, in these first four games. And I think when, when the head coach and the play caller, and, and he's a de facto, de facto offensive coordinator, even though he's a head coach has that kind of conviction in what he's doing. There's a trickle down effect, uh, which I think brings us back to Justin Fields and the stuff you were talking about. And I, th- I feel like the last two weeks, um, he, he has not been as efficient. I don't think as he was earlier in the year, but I would trade off efficiency for the little bit of like the I don't know razzle dazzle is the right word the stuff that he's doing kind of creating plays and I think becoming himself a little bit um, I'm fine if his completion percentage drops two or three percentage points if the trade off is he's going to run around and throw go balls because the one completion touchdowns. that he does get is going to be a touchdown yeah and he's still the the one thing he's still not doing is throwing bad passes 
I think he puts himself there. Were the 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 play that I tweeted about Justin Fields coming out of his shell a little bit and and being a little looser and maybe at times, you know, worrying fans a little bit about what what he's exactly doing back there was a fourth and three play early in this or late in the second quarter against Miami where it looked like he was about to get sacked and he was like holding the ball kind of loose and he's like directing traffic and there's a defender right behind him. He's and got I the think, ball in one hand. And I think yeah. like a faster defender or a better one than, than whatever Miami, Ohio had out there, like might've gotten to him. But, but you got to trust that he would, he would know that, right? Right. But uh, yeah, but, and he, he didn't. And Justin Fields got out and he completed the pass. And then I think they scored a touchdown on the next play. Like they extended a drive on, they were going forward on fourth and three, first of all, when they're up by a million, which I love, because I think you need to put teams away like that. Um, if you feel confident, your guys, you should go do it. Um, so, but that kind of play like will make me worry a little bit about fumbles. And I know he fumbled the one in the end zone. I don't think that was his fault. I think that was on J.K. Dobbins. Um, so, like ball security worries like are in my head a little bit with Justin Fields as it pertains to fumbles. But he's being smart when he's throwing the ball. And the last two weeks, I think you're seeing a little bit of of why he was ranked so high. Want to know what's so ironic about the situation that we're in right now? Mm-hmm. In this conversation, me and you, mano y mano, looking into each other's eyes. Yep. He's not looking at me. I Is that like? It. Now we're trying, starting to get back a little bit to my week one stuff about wow stuff. Yeah. You know, and maybe the way I tabled it week one was I wanted to see him juke somebody out of his pants. You know what I mean? And watch them fall over and go like to the end zone like Braxton. Yeah. But I think in this new era of Ohio State football where he's going to be running around like Baker Mayfield, a crazy person with the ball in one hand and directing traffic with the other. That is the type of situation where athleticism leads to those wow moments. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you start coming back to, like, maybe this is a better way to articulate what I initially meant. And I do think that wowness is part of the game. And there's two things a head coach can do when you have a quarterback that's physically capable of wow moments. It's one, sit him down and say, don't play like a crazy person, do what I say, throw the ball away, do the safe thing, never turn the ball over and get in his head. Or you can just let him play. And I think that was the entire angle of your Baker Mayfield story at Cleveland.com, if I remember correctly, right? You have to live, yeah. You have, yeah. To, you have to live with the moments you want to pull your hair out for the trade-off of people making Heisman caliber plays. Yeah. You have, and, and you have to let – like, that is who Baker Mayfield is by his nature. That is who I think Tate Martell is by his nature. I, I think I might have lumped Trace McSorley in there when I was writing that. That's who he is. JT Barrett was never that, but it was basically like when you have a quarterback who wants to do this, would you let him do it? And I I don't know if Urban never would have, but I think Ryan Day might, and I think we're seeing it now. Yeah, it's part of the identity. You know, that's the whole thing. Now, I don't know. Ohio State's identity is and used to be, I think, we have better players than you. We're going to run you down your throat. They were a run-first team under Urban Meyer. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I don't even know if anybody would disagree with that. No, they um, were. Yeah. You know, I even think that in the Dwayne Haskins era, there was a very strong element of attempting to try to run it, even though they had issues with that last year. Uh, yeah, I would uh, – hey, hey, Doug, uh, you said a thing on your podcast about them having two 1,000-yard uh, running backs as an argument for Ohio State still being a team that was able to run the ball last year. Uh, they stunk running the ball last year. And well, that's why you jumped on my throat too when I said that that offense would have been sufficient enough to win the national championship if they had a good defense. Yeah, they were, they and averaged like no four yards. That. They averaged like four yards a carry. They continuously got hit behind the line of scrimmage and they couldn't score touchdowns in the red zone running the ball. They were awful running the ball by their standard. They were awful running the ball last year. Anyway, continue. Hi, Doug. Oh my lord, 
Because that made that was the first time I think I got uncomfortable on the podcast war situation. Sometimes I listen to Buckeye talk, and I just and I'm sure Doug does it the same yeah, thing. Yeah, when he yeah, yeah. He just starts screaming, and you wish you were in a room with him. Yeah. Like, no, I disagree. Yeah, that's what I was telling him the other day. <laughs> I was on the phone with him, and they were talking about five. I think Nate went on a tangent for a minute about five stars don't matter or something and i almost ran my car off the side of the road <laughs> five stars are the only thing that matters doug uh miss you um so anyway yeah but there's also when you start talking about identity ohio state has it and i think they that we agree that they're firm in what they have right yeah they know what they want to do on both sides of the ball they have the athletes to um do it and they're doing it you know and now they're going to live and die by that identity michigan on the other hand, does not. Or it seems like everybody who covered that game wrote that Michigan in year four doesn't have an identity. But yeah. I wanted to make a distinction now because we did talk about the actual offense and defense of like the game plan and what they are on the field as a finished product in 2019. Mm-hmm. Now I want to know about program identity because I think that is a huge thing. And I wrote a story about Ryan Day on Friday that was kind of a piggyback on the discussion we had last week on the podcast about how he was in a situation to be the head coach at such a young age. And I think that the biggest gift that Urban Meyer gave Ryan Day was that foundation of what this program is going to be. You know, recruiting plan, all the things that they have in the pillars. The pillars, yeah. And I don't know why every time I talk about the pillars, I kind of space out you for a second. What, like, but what are the pillars, Doug? They're so important. What are they again? Um, but no, seriously, that, that's what he was given. Yeah. The foundation of the program. And I don't know that he has to make a new foundation of the program. He's going to make things his. But even when you were writing the story at the beginning of the year from Chicago, like what was really, did he make him his, his self? And that was like a question that you had. How are you going to make this program yourself? That yeah. was an invaluable gift. And the column that I wrote off of the Urban Meyer press conference when he announced he was retiring, the biggest thing that Urban Meyer did and the best accomplishment that he had at Ohio State wasn't the national championship. It was the foundation he built. Yeah. And now Ryan Day is going to benefit from that greatly. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because Michigan, and of all the things that we talk about, athleticism, offense, weird offensive coordinator hires, not winning big games, 0-6 and underdogs, all that stuff that you've been reading about Michigan all week, fine. The thing that I think is the most unbelievable thing about Michigan is in year four, Jim Harbaugh, Colin Kaepernick, Andrew Luck, quarterback whisperer, has not recruited his quarterback that he wants to build around And they still don't have that guy on the field. He's supposed to recruit a quarterback, develop him, and he's supposed to be the guy. And I get that McCaffrey played and that he was recruited by it, but they are in year four and they're relying on Shea Patterson. And I think it's safe to say that he's just not good enough to get them where they need to be. Yeah, the fit seems off. So, or, or their willingness to really build the offense around him is just isn't there. One, that is a huge problem because if you're a head coach, you need to be in command of either recruiting the quarterback or getting the right one in through the transfer process, right? Mm -hmm. But two, we've had discussions about this all the way back to our Cleveland.com days of like, can a program be healthy while relying on a transfer quarterback, which is going to now bring back to Ohio State? Um, I think that that discussion when we used to have it was very different because the portal hadn't really happened yet and Mm -hmm. the free-flying transfer situation with the quarterback position hadn't gotten out of control like it is in modern day but Ohio State is now relying on a transfer and 
it might get another transfer in two years. I mean, I don't, who knows? You know, you can go through the recruiting. Ohio State has two very good quarterbacks committed right now in Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. Mm-hmm. So you would hope that Ohio State doesn't have to rely on a transfer in the future because I don't think that's the healthiest way to run the program. But they are also in the same position as Michigan. And I'm just wondering how you would view the two programs from a philosophical standpoint relying on a transfer quarterback. Yeah, I think it's an interesting comparison. Um, the, the thing I think you have to be able to do, and it's it's not, I'm not it's a simple thing, and, and it'll sound maybe a little cliche, but it's just you have to be able to adapt to whatever that guy is. And I don't think Michigan's done it. I think Shea Patterson, from a talent standpoint, might be a tad bit overrated. Um, and he's fumbling the ball this year at kind of an alarming rate. Um, but he's not a bad player. I think it's possible to build a successful offense around him, um, and they haven't done it. Um, and they even did it like I don't like the, Jim Harbaugh like made Jake Rudock an NFL draft pick. Guy couldn't have started Iowa, and they made him made him into an NFL. I think he was like a sixth round draft pick. I don't, I don't know if he's still in the league or not. Whatever he got drafted, and he made money to play football at least for a little bit. And that was a product of of putting Rudock in a system that worked for him and worked for Michigan that year. I think they were probably a little better that year than they should have been. Um, now they're, they they just seem lost with Patterson. They're in their second year of it. They can't figure it out. Meanwhile, you look at Ohio State, and maybe Ryan Day would be – I think it would be an interesting thing to, to ask him whether or not he was just sort of predisposed to let his quarterback let it hang loose a little bit or if he had to change to become that way because he knew that would be what best suited Justin Fields. I'll, like, I'll, I'll never forget – I'll never forget because it happened like three weeks ago, but it, it'll, be a, it'll be a quote that sticks with me just because I was like surprised he said it when I asked Ryan Day in the hallway about Justin Fields and the balance of letting him create plays and stay in the pocket and develop as a pocket passer and make smart decisions. And he said, he said, it's like, it's like an artist. You can't tell him when to paint. You just got to let him do it and let them use their feel for it. And I think that's what Ohio State's great quote. I think that's what Ohio <laughs> State's doing with Fields. I think that's what Oklahoma is doing with Jalen Hurts. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but it seems like um, they have built a lot more of the quarterback run game into that offense than they had with Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray. Both of those guys, good athletes in their own right, Kyler especially. But Jalen Hurts is, is like a, is like JT Barrett kind of the way he runs. He runs like a running back, um, and he's he's developed as a passer. But they're using that. They're not they're not saying, hey Jalen, here's our offense. Figure out how you fit in it. They're saying, okay Jalen, what do you do well? Let's build the offense around that. And that's what Ohio State's done with Justin Fields. And it's what I'm trying to think if there are any other transfer quarterbacks who are playing well besides those guys. Maybe not. Oh, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow at, at LSU. I think I think the offense they have this year. I was looking uh, at you and squinting my eyes and going, are you seriously yeah. going to forget about Joe Burrow? The guy who I uh, voted number one again in our Heisman straw poll. Um, you think that's crazy that I do that? His I mean, stats are his com- stats are incredible. His they have the best win. He played a good team. That's why I do it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't put Jonathan Taylor in, though. I probably didn't he just have. throw like six touchdowns in a game on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the LSU record. I think he has more touchdowns for those first four games than LSU's had in a passing touchdowns in a season. I think in like he's got, the last eight, five years he's got 18 total touchdowns. But they're doing it there, too. And they, it was slow going. They couldn't really do it last year. But but this year, um, they brought in Joe Brady, who has some experience also in that Penn State Joe Moorhead offense. And they're doing a little bit of that stuff with Joe Burrow and those receivers they have down there. And they're making it work. It's a really good offense. And it's not... They're not reinventing the wheel. They're not doing anything crazy. They're just taking the talent at their disposal and shaping what their offense to it, which is like what every coach should do. But for some reason, Michigan's having a hell of a time doing it with Shea Patterson. The thing I want to know is when these transfers happen, it is a very fast-paced situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like these quarterbacks hit the portal or these quarterbacks are transferring, and the next thing you know, it's like who's going to offer them first, get them on campus, go, 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 go. 
I don't think people realize how much time is spent evaluating and breaking down and watching film of high school prospects when they are recruiting them and how much happens before an offer goes out. And sometimes I wonder when a coach needs a transfer or wants a transfer, if they just go, holy crap, Shea Patterson's available, let's get him and then worry about it later. Or if they actually sit down and break the tape from Ole Miss and say, is this guy going to fit into what we want to do? And I also want to know from Ohio State's standpoint, because they were so, like Justin Fields' name hit the portal and all the news stories broke and like Ohio State was already listed. How much time did Ryan Day spend watching film of Justin Fields? This might be a good story too. How much time did you spend actually breaking down his tape from high school and at Georgia and realizing you want this guy in your program? Especially when there were other options available. And when you talk about the stakes of what was at, you know, play here for Ryan Day and his future at Ohio State, that is a monumental gamble to make, maybe blindly. And I think everybody knew that he was the craziest athlete of all time in high school and, you know, hadn't done much at Georgia. So maybe you can just assume we would have died to have this guy out of high school, bring him into the program now, and it'll be like we got him. Uh, You know, I don't know. But, like, those decisions are happened on such a snap, and I wonder if other programs are going to get themselves into a snafu when the quarterback derby hits again in the next few months after the season's over with when people are transferring again. Is that a transition? Can we use that as a transition to what you what you wrote on Well, Monday? Mitch Sherman just sent me some fire quotes from Adrian Martinez uh, for the story I'm about to put up, so that might be a better transition. You want to tease people with one or no? I'm writing a story about alternate history and what would have happened if Ohio State would have offered Adrian Martinez when he visited – Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez when he visited Ohio State in November 2017. And – I don't know what I'm going to do with this quote because I wasn't even sure if I was going to quote him, but like I like looking at this and I was typing during the podcast because like I almost fainted in the middle of this podcast. On his decision to sign with Nebraska and whether it would have been different if Ohio State offered, Adrian Martinez, quote, very probable, you know. <laughs> Who's to say how things would have played out? But either way, I have a lot of respect for the guys over there. Ryan Day, the guy who I had the most contact with now was the head coach. Lots of respect for those guys. They made the best decision for them. Very probable? <laughs> <laughs> so part of your story that you, that's running on Monday is what would have happened, the domino effect of if they had offered Adrian Martinez, who very probably, as he just said, would have taken that offer. Like, obviously, he would have. Um, Instead, so they offered Matthew Baldwin, and they got Matthew Baldwin, and like we all kind of know what happened after that. Dwayne Haskins went to the draft, they could put into the fields, like all this stuff happened. Adrian Martinez comes to Ohio State instead last winter. What's the quarterback world look like now? So in this story, which is an alternate universe story, which is uh, one of my favorite things to do because you don't have to live within the realms of reality. Yeah, and it's all made up, so nobody can it's tell you It's all made wrong. up, and you can't possibly be wrong when you make something up. But what's not made up is that Ohio State could have had him, and that would have changed everything. But in this world, Justin Fields is the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is at Florida State. The hair on my arm just stood up. And Ohio State redshirt freshman quarterback Adrian Martinez is preparing for his first big start for the Buckeyes under the lights at Nebraska on Saturday. With one different decision from Ryan Day as an assistant coach. And that's what the entire point of the story is. How one assistant coach's decision in 2017 can alter the power shift or the paradigm of the Big Ten in college football. That's a lot of power. And I don't even think people realize it because of how the dominoes fall. One quarterback goes one place in the red, and you know you, you heard about it with Jake Jake Fromm at Georgia and what that meant for Justin Fields and what that meant for Tate Martell. Well, well, his and initial his initial decision to 
decommit from Alabama. Right. Yeah. And didn't Andy Staples write a story about that? Am I? He wrote a story. Yeah, it was about the guy who ended up playing quarterback for Kentucky, uh, maybe two weeks ago when they played Florida. It was like he ended up there because of everything that happened to basically get Gunnar Hoke to leave. So then there was a spot to be the number two at Kentucky, and that guy went there. Then he ended up starting because Terry Wilson, I think, got hurt. Um, so you can play this game. You can you can pick any starting point you want and play this quarterback domino game. But this was this is a piece of it that nobody talks about because it sort of flew under the radar after Ohio State. Or, or, or fell by the wayside after Ohio State got Matthew Baldwin last year, but I don't. I don't think it's an interesting question. Though I guess we'll never really know the answer to. But do you think Justin Fields would have even assume all Dwayne Haskins has all the same success he had last year, and goes off to the NFL draft and like this becomes a place where quarterbacks want to play? Do you think Justin Fields would have come here if Adrian Martinez was here and not Matthew Baldwin? I just smiled at Bill because I don't know. Guess where they had also a lot of success? <laughs> Quarterbacks Oklahoma. had a lot of success. Oklahoma. Back-to-back Heisman winners. Back-to-back top five picks. He's back-to-back gonna, number have, one picks. He's going to have three Heisman Trophy quarterbacks in a row. In a row. And there would have been one. Now, there's a true freshman on Oklahoma's roster named Spencer Rattler from the great state of Arizona. But I don't know that that would have deterred Justin Fields from going to Oklahoma. That would have been, in my opinion, even with all the success that they had with Dwayne at Ohio State, the most clear-cut path to the field at a very successful program that's going to win its conference and likely be in the Big Big, uh, 12 championship game and ultimately the playoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would have had a freshman. That would have been the perfect scenario for Oklahoma, get a two-year rental from a five-star quarterback instead of a one-year rental with Jalen Hurts. I I think that, you know, you think you disagree with this. I think you think that Fields would have still ultimately ended up at Ohio State. But no, I don't. I think, I think the the first question is in this in this scenario where Adrian Martinez is in Ohio State's roster. I think the first question you have to ask yourself is what would Lincoln Riley prefer? Yeah. Would he prefer one year of Jalen Hurts, who is at the moment probably a little more polished than Justin Fields? It's the same thing we talked about. With, I think we talked about this with Joe Burrow last week. Would you prefer one year of the more polished quarterback? or two years of a guy with incredible upside, even if the first year might be a little wonky. Now, that might sound crazy considering how Justin Fields has played so far, but this is a hypothetical months before he would have, would have ever played a game. Um, I think, he, he I takes think, Fields. I think he might have taken Hurts. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I, I, it's a it's a legitimate thing because the upside could happen in year one. Sure. Sure, Which is what Ohio State is literally but making I, on right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's and so far it's working. Um, and and I think you know, I think Ohio State probably made maybe Ohio State could have had Jalen Hurts even after Urban Meyer left. Um, I think it's pretty clear Ohio State made its decision to one at Justin Fields, and, and perhaps Lincoln Riley would have done the exact same thing. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that he would have taken Justin Fields automatically over Jalen Hurts. Um, so I think that's the first question you have to ask yourself, and then and then the dominoes fall from there. Because if he takes, if he decides, you know what, I want Hurts. He's played in the national title game. He's older. Um, he's been on the biggest stages. He was playing well at the end of last year. He's got a pretty monster sized chip on his shoulder because he thinks that he should have been playing and got his job stolen by Tua. Um, I could see why you'd want that guy. And then if you do take him, and Justin Fields doesn't come here, Justin Fields is probably at what Florida State. It also matters how quickly he believes that Rattler is going to be ready. So if he thinks that Rattler is the next great quarterback and is going to be ready year two, year two yeah. and then he'll only get him for two years, then I guess it's a wash. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're undervaluing how 
much two years means instead of one. It's like yeah. Oklahoma has back-to-back Heisman winners, but they've never had a quarterback stability since Lincoln Riley took over. They had two which, years of Baker. Yeah, but like before Lincoln, I mean. Yeah. He's going to go three, four years and end, because doing that, you're putting yourself in a situation four years, four different quarterbacks. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the world you want to live in either. So, I I don't know. I mean, who would you take? I'd take Fields. I think Fields has... Knowing what I know now, I would take Fields. Uh, without the knowledge that I have now, back in like December, I might take Hurts. Yeah. And that's why they get paid $5 million a year. Yeah. I mean, that's the... It seems you like should be you should be able to look at the tape and go, this is going to work. Yeah. Like, you and I sitting here watching it play out is different than what a coach is looking at when he's in his film room. Right. Yeah, we have, like, stats to fall back on. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, everyone looks great. Everyone made out okay. But, yeah, you have to be able to, to evaluate them without the stats. I'm just thinking of a world where poor Justin Fields is down in Tallahassee. Just getting his ass kicked on I don't know if Justin Fields would be in... Oh, oh, so... You think Fields would have gone to Florida State? I don't know where that's where he would have gone. Like where I don't know where else could he have gone. Who took high? Who took high uh, profile transfers this year? Yeah, not that Alex Miami Warner, maybe. Not that I Alex don't know. High, maybe they would have taken Miami and then poor Mark Tate Martell would be at UNLV getting his head beat in. I don't know. Miami yeah. needed a. I mean, you don't think That'd Miami f- would have? I don't know. It'd be interesting. Should I add if that just, to the story. Justin Fields knows Jaron Williams. They were all in the same class, all in Georgia. Yeah. He would have some understanding of how good Jaron Williams is and the likelihood of beating him out. Um, I'm thinking he would have. I think he's better than Jaron Williams, but maybe that would have been a consideration. But now, where's Tate? Justin Fields goes to Miami. Where's Tate? I don't understand why Tate isn't at Arizona State University right now. I feel like that they're, that, always, they're starting a freshman. That university is where Tate belongs. Arizona State. I mean, I guess Miami is similar in the idea of like what you could picture what college life being for a kid like that. Yeah, but they're both Adidas schools, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that With no implication there. Yeah. <laughs> where would Tate be? I want, I want to figure this out now. UCLA? Mm. UCLA was like, I don't know, his high school teammate, that only person that's ever beaten Tate Martell, or that has only lost, the only person that's ever lost to Tate Martell since he was in high school in a quarterback battle is now the starting quarterback at UCLA. Dorian Thompson Robinson? Yeah, they could have just got the whole Bishop Gorman back The whole Bishop Gorman, Haskell Garrett can get out there again. Yeah, yeah. The four guys who also went to Miami from Bishop Gorman can all be out there. It's interesting. Anyway. All right, let's talk about the Nebraska line. Uh, before we get out of here, it opened at 15. Now it's at, I saw it at 17 and a half. Is that where you saw it? 17 and a half on a real book. All right. What on a real, I'm looking, what's a real book? I don't know these things. I'm not a gambling guy. Not bet online OG where. Play uh, the slots. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, somewhere where you can put your money down and get money back if you win. <laughs> like the Lord of the Rings slot machine. 17 and a half. What do you think of that line? Opened at 15 and a half or 15 and now is at 17 and a half. And I think we'll continue to move towards 20. When I saw the. uh, What's it speaking to you? I've been thinking about this game for a month and a half now since the summer. And I know that every single person on earth. I don't know on earth. I'm so dramatic. (laughs) A lot of people have circled the Nebraska game as the game where Ohio State is going to get a reality check. And everybody thinks that this is the first big test and I guess we're going to approach this week like it's the first big test and I think we're all on the same mind frame that this is like the most talented team Ohio State's playing and it's a night game on the road in a very large stadium I think Ohio State's going to beat them by 50 what I think Nebraska 50? sucks 50 I don't know 50 might be an exaggeration but I think they're going to destroy them yeah I don't did know. you watch that Illinois game I watched a little bit of it yeah 
I, I honestly bad turnovers. But I knew that that line was going to be in the teens. And even if it's not 50, I think winning by 24 is a very easy expectation for this team. I think 48 to 24 is a very reasonable line or a very reasonable final score. And that would probably be my real, like, actual prediction for the score, which we'll give on Friday. And I don't mean to, like, ruin that segment for you on Friday, Dollaby, right. but 48 24 or 51 27 or something like that uh, seems to be to be pretty reasonable. I don't know. I think their running back might not play, and he's like one of their best offensive playmakers. Uh, their defense couldn't stop Illinois for four quarters. Um, I, I just don't see how what what people think Nebraska. This is an upset game. No way. No so way. Illinois only had two hundred ninety nine yards of total offense in that game. They got aided by some Nebraska turnovers. So it wasn't, I don't think I think they turned it over three times in their own territory. Yeah. So it wasn't like Illinois was continuously moving the ball up and down the field on them, but they was, they were scoring. Um, you know who was making plays for Nebraska last week? Wandale Robinson. Wandale Robinson, Rondale Moore are the same person in my brain. That, very different players, I think. Though. Very different players, very similar names, and very similar recruitments. Various, yeah, yeah, <laughs> similar similar recruitments for sure, and similar sounding names. But he was he was playing a little tailback, he's playing receiver. He had like 160 total yards and three touchdowns. True freshman out of Kentucky, right? Yep. That Ohio State offered. And I think Ohio State offered, wanted? but wanted late. It's the same thing with Rondale Moore. You just do that thing with your eyebrow. <laughs> wanted? I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Um, but definitely were involved with. So I think that's interesting. And they have J.D. Spielman. I think, I do, I think they have guys that um, – and Adrian Martinez. You should uh, mention his name again because he's the best. He's the best quarterback they will have seen so far and probably the best quarterback they'll see all year unless they get to the playoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not Shea, it's not uh Who would you put in there? Lorky. That cone from Wisconsin. That guy's slinging it right now. Noodle arm 2.0. He's got a noodle arm? I don't I actually don't know if he has a noodle <laughs> arm or not. All I know is that Jonathan Taylor is the fastest man on the planet and they have uh seven guys who are my size. He is much better than any running back that they've had in the last I don't know. Is he better than Melvin Gordon? I was watching part of that game. I was like, God, that guy's good. Because he runs with speed and power. Like he's not just some big Ron Dane dude who's yeah. gonna be running through the line and like putting his shoulder down and running people over. This guy's shifty and fast. And if he gets a yard on you, he's gonna have a fifteen yard gain. Like I, I'm I feel like a lot of times Wisconsin running backs are very powerful and very good downhill runners. I don't know if we've seen one that is as good of a downhill runner that can shift the way this guy can. Yeah, I don't... I put him on my Heisman ballot, too, by the way. I, I, I sent mine in quickly because I was, like, doing it on the move, and then I regretted not putting him on there, but I'll put him on there next week. Um, there are, I think, like, Andy... I was listening to Andy Staples' podcast um, when I was driving back from Cleveland uh, this morning, and he had said, and I trust his opinion on it more than I would my own because he's a he's got a better perspective on, like, the national picture than I do. Um that Jonathan Taylor is probably the best running back that Wisconsin's ever had, which is crazy to say when you think about the names that they've mm -hmm. had there. Um, but also, like, Ohio State has played good Wisconsin teams with good running backs, and then those running backs have done nothing against them. Yeah, because if you design the game plan around stopping the running back or holding them to 100 yards, you got to make somebody else has to make a play, and I think that's kind of where it all yeah, and those, many of those teams didn't have great quarterbacks. And this is a good story for Wisconsin week. And yeah. I'm just going to say it out loud. I'm going to run it back when we're – but I want to know what the best game was for a Wisconsin running back against Ohio State in the last seven years. I think I might have written a story about that a couple Did years you? ago. Did you? Because I don't. I, I, what, I, I don't, don't even remember. know. Like in the Nash, in the Big Ten championship game when everybody was wound up against, you know, 14. fourteen. Oh, I think Melvin Gordon had like sixty yards. And I, and I think that forty of them came in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, that was a slaughter. Um, 
But I don't know. This Jack Cohn guy might be might be better than than at least what Wisconsin's had in past years. But Adrian Martinez is is still I think I think you know pretty confidently the best quarterback they're going to face, and I think that matters. I don't know anything about Nebraska's offensive line, and Ohio State's defensive line has been really good. It's banged up. I would ex- I'll be curious to see about Tyreek Smith. I don't think we know the extent of his injury. I think maybe Jonathan Cooper makes a comeback this week. BB um, Landers could have been a precaution. They brought him out for interviews on like Tuesday, and then he didn't play against Miami Ohio. Um, I think I, I think we'll probably this see him. New injury system. Yeah, I mean, I get not wanting to put out specifics about guys. I totally get that. Um, you don't have. It's to not the. It's not the NFL. But... No, I know, but I, but I think it's. I think it's the over caution of not wanting to get specific, leading to basically shutting everything down and like not knowing what's going on. But there should be a distinction between season-ending injuries or two-month injuries and two-week injuries. There should also be a distinction between injury and other disciplinary action. And I'm not saying guys have been suspended for anything, but all it says is out, and there's no, there's it's no not f- f- specified any further than that. Um, and, you know, we would like to know. I think fans would like to know. Every time their report comes in, it's like, what's wrong with B.B. Landers? Like, I don't know, because they don't, they don't say. Um so that'll be something to watch, I guess, on, on Saturday, whether or not how healthy the defensive line is. But but I do, to go back to my main point, I do think that this Nebraska offense will be somewhat of a test for Ohio State's defense because if they if they were able to put Ohio State's defense in any of the positions that Miami of Ohio did at the beginning of the game on Saturday, they're going to score. There were some free runners. There were some guys that if they were better athletes would have scored touchdowns against Ohio State's defense in that first quarter on Saturday. And maybe that changes the, tra- the trajectory of the game. Um, so I don't know. That It, it gives me pause. I I... I at the moment, I think I am inclined to take the points. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I would, you told me you told me the Indiana line was a trap when they housed that team. I didn't say anything about a trap. Yeah, you did. No, for this week's game. No, I know, but I'm oh, just saying okay. you're not always right either about the about the betting. I'm lines. not saying I'm always right. I'm just saying. I don't know. Maybe it is a trap with the way that that Nebraska's looked, and. You know they have they lost to Colorado and they almost lost to Illinois. I I, I knew that this line was going to be in between 15, fourteen and twenty all along, but the fact that they put it in a range where you could buy it down to two scores seems pretty crazy to me. Yeah, I'd take Ohio State minus fourteen and put my freaking car on it. I need to I need to watch a little bit of Nebraska. I'm going to try to find time to do that this. I week. watched Nebraska on Saturday night and I was legitimately disgusted with by how bad they looked. Really. So Ohio State by fifty, you know, and I tweeted it the other day. Like it's like, well, you tweeted you, know, you tweeted the GIF from from America's Greatest Comedy Film, <laughs> Vegas, vacation, Vegas Vacation, where the money's coming out in Clark yeah. Griswold's faces. No, but also later on, I said after I tweeted Ohio State minus fifteen with a with that GIF or GIF, I will never know how to pronounce that the right way. It's a soft G. Uh, but a team with a QB uh, who threw nine touchdowns. Uh, in a, a game where this team was favored by seventeen, lost outright at home. So Nebraska by fifty. All right, we'll let, we'll let you marinate on that one, and we'll get we'll 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 pin you down for an actual score prediction uh, on Sounds Friday. Good. And Friday again will be a mailbag, mostly a mailbag show. I think we might get into this game a little more because it is a, it's at the very least, it's an it's a, I don't know, on paper anyway, it looks like it should be a little bit better of a, of a matchup than than what Ohio State's seen so far. So maybe we'll dig into that a little bit more, and we'll definitely take your questions. You can uh, find that if you go to the Athletic Ohio State page. There'll be a forum there where you can post them. We'll also tweet out the link probably on Wednesday to get the questions in. Uh, it'll be subscriber only, so you can get subscribed to The Athletic again by going to theathletic.com backslash. Is it backslash or forward slash? Just slash. Just slash Whichever slash comes naturally to you. Four dash six, and that'll get you 40% off. And again, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, iTunes, 
or Apple is iTunes, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you find podcasts. That helps us out as well. We appreciate the support as always. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys later this week. <laughs>